Access denied. Let's hear like a few of them that have kind of come upon you at some point in your life. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> that is great. That is great. Uh, sometimes you just get denied access. funny what sticks out to us from our childhood right just these moments of like yeah I mean I locked my keys in my car three weeks ago I was over by your house riding with a buddy and my wife had to drive all the way across town to let me into my car which I don't think she was blessed about but um that just kind of Yeah, I want, I want us to consider kind of, again, some of them are silly and kind of funny, and, 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 and consider some of the feelings that are associated when you are denied access. Again, if you've lost a computer password, we understand how mind-frustrating mind that is. But um, <clears throat> I want you to consider that as you kind of think about that. Um, let's, go, let's go to Herod's temple, which was the center of, of Jewish life, especially in the time of Jesus. Um, and in Herod's temple, you could get different access based on who you were, okay? Different access based on who you were. So here's, you know, again, kind of a, a rendering of it. Here would be another rendering, um, Herod's temple on the mountain. So in the middle of Jerusalem, in the middle of the city of Jerusalem, you had this kind of massive structure, um, you had the temple was in the middle. You had the Gentiles courtyard. You kind of had these different areas. <clears throat> um, and if we were to start in, in the very, very like center of the center, this would be called the Holy of Holies. Um, this was where they would go in for the Day of Atonement once a year. Only, only, only 
one person in all of, in all of um, Judaism was able to go here, the high priest, right? This is the sanctuary. This is where the priests were able to go in, um, do different sacrifices, offer incense, those sorts of things. Um, this here is, this kind of, you can kind of see like right here is called the court of Israelites. This is where Israelite men could enter. This is how far they were allowed to go, right? Again, here, priests, altar. Um, this is where they would do, again, other different sacrifices here. Now, here you would have the court of women. So Israelite women were allowed to come in to this court. They were allowed to kind of make it this far. Um, I think I want to go back to this one. And then here, so here, this is the court of women, right? Uh, is this a better? Court of women would be here. Just kind of in here would be where the Israelite men were allowed into, again, the building. Um, this is the main temple. The Holy of Holies would be back here. And you can kind of see all around the temple, right? If we go back to this image, would be the Gentiles. So just kind of anybody who was kind of coming in and around would, would be able to come into the Gentiles' courtyard. But you had access based on who you were, right? Based on who you were. So let's keep this in mind because I want to read our passage this morning. Our passage this morning is about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, right? Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law and he's going to do some various healings and then he's going to go away and pray. But as I was studying this passage, I was drawn actually to the way that the gospel of Matthew kind of frames this, this healing. Okay, so we're going to read it in Mark and then we're going to kind of expand and, and look at the way that the gospel of Matthew kind of explains it. And then we're going to kind of overlay it on the temple on the mount. So Mark 1, 29 through 39. I think we're still on page 699. Is that correct? Those, those deep in the Bibles. Is it still page 699? Yeah. Yeah, let's read this. And then uh, we'll kind of read it in the round. So um, remember the last time we, we talked about this, Jesus had driven out that evil spirit. We talked about demons, demon possession, what that looked like. Um, so Jesus had driven out the, the evil spirit. So they leave the synagogue in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Peter, or Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, um, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they explained, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Excellent. 
Okay, if you've got a Bible, switch over to Matthew 8. I don't know what, what page that is, but, but Matthew 8 is where I kind of want to, like I said, I want to overlay this into the Gospel of Matthew. Um, I was just kind of doing some, some cross-study, and I found that this was Matthew 8. Yeah, Matthew 8. Um, found this really fascinating. Um, and we won't, we won't read this whole thing. Uh, if you're looking at a phone or something like that, Matthew 8, 1 says, When Jesus came down from, from the mountainside, it is not on page 699, that's, that's wrong. Matthew 8, 1 says, when Jesus had come down from the mountainside, okay? So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus giving his sermon on the mount, right? Jesus gives his sermon on the mount. So he gives his sermon on the mount, right? Matthew 8, 1, he comes down from the mountainside, and then he's going to do three things, Okay? Number one, he's going to heal a man with leprosy. We're going to talk about that healing next week, right? That's what Jesus is going to do immediately after this, right? Mark has him switched in order. Um, He then heals a Roman soldier's son, right? The Roman soldier comes to Jesus and says, hey, heal my son. And he says, just give the order. I'm a man of orders. You just give the order and my son will be healed. He heals the Roman soldier's son. And then in 14 through 17, he then heals Peter's mother-in-law. Okay? So he's going to do these three miracles in in this order. Um, One of the things I I thought that was so interesting is Dale Bruner in his commentary, the way that he, again, he takes these three healings and he overlays them on the temple. Right? So, he puts it like this. He says that, again, lepers couldn't get into the temple at all, right? If you were a leper, if you had a skin disease, we would, they would not even let you into the temple, right? You had to stay outside. You weren't allowed in the Gentiles' courtyard. You weren't allowed in the temple. You weren't allowed in any of this, right? You were completely barred from entering any of this, right? They were not allowed in the temple at all. Now, what about a Roman soldier, Right? A Roman soldier could enter into this Gentile's courtyard, right? They were allowed to hear. They were Gentile. They were non-Jew. Roman soldiers and Gentiles could only get into the outermost court of the Gentiles, right? Jewish women were not allowed as far inside the temple as the men, right? So the Jewish women could get into the Gentile's courtyard. They could get in here, right? But they were not allowed into, into the courtyard of the men. They were not allowed into the courtyard of the priests, right? So Bruner makes that commentary. And then he says this too. He says... But Jesus breaks down the outer wall, letting in the leper, right? Then the wall of the court of the Gentiles, letting in the Roman soldier. And now he breaks down the court of women, letting in women. And then he makes this, what, such a beautiful comment here at the very end. He says, at the cross, Jesus will split the veil into the holy of holies, letting everyone in. Jesus is the great wall breaker, right? And remember that, right? As Jesus is dying on the cross, all the gospels say that the curtain of the temple, the temple that separated into the Holy of Holies, that was torn in two, right? And it's this this moment of everyone through Jesus being given access to the Holy of Holies. So Jesus, again, Bruner kind of takes these three miracles as we see them in Matthew 8, overlays them in the temple and says, 
Jesus breaks down the outer wall, letting in the leper, the court of the Gentiles. I took a picture of this this morning. It's in year, year two. Um, I have this picture of when we were kind of helping with the teen center. And some of the old school folks will remember that, that this wall back here used to kind of be faux painted as brick, right? It was the quote unquote rec hall. The clock actually hung over this kind of wrecking ball, you know, and it was like this wrecking ball breaking through the wall. And this is where my mind goes as Bruner is calling Jesus the great, the great wall breaker, right? I was like, man, if we would have really been smart, we would have left that up and it would have been symbolic of being Jesus the great wall breaker. So that was, that was what I thought, but I don't know if anybody else made that connection to Jesus the great wall breaker as that beautiful art of recreation hall. Okay, one last thing. I'll finish Bruner's quote. He's a great wall breaker. And then he says this. He says, in Matthew, a leper, a centurion, and a woman. One physically excluded, one racially excluded, and one sexually excluded from the innermost worship of the community. Think about this. These Jesus heals first, right? And this little line that, again, this is from Dale Bruner from his commentary, this Jesus is the great wall breaker. I was just been kind of thinking about that this week. That was for sure one of the kind of, I would say, Holy Spirit surprises that I didn't envision in this passage. And we, we started kind of in, in some silly ways, you know, talking about when we're act, denied access, when we're not allowed to get in, when we've kind of hit a wall. And, you know, I don't know, maybe kind of overlay some of those or connect with some of those feelings, those emotions, those dispositions, those memories when you were denied access, right? And you might even feel this in your life right now, right? That you've hit a wall. We use this phrase, right? I've hit a wall. I can't get through. I can't get over the hump, right? Or I'm boxed or I'm fenced in. You might be feeling this and experiencing this in your life at some moment, right? And I, going back to this quote, just Jesus is the great wall breaker, I, I don't know, for some reason that's just has struck me and it's just been, I've just been stuck with that this week. That there is probably, I know if you're sitting in this room this morning, um, like this is true for at least one, if not all of us, right? And we experience and we connect it to those emotions and those dispositions and those memories of just man being stuck, being not able to get over the, the hump or, or we've hit this wall. And and I believe that, like, like, Jesus wants to move in on those, those situations, right? Or, you know, Jesus wants to bring healing. And again, it doesn't have to be like a physical healing, although it could be. It could be an emotional healing. Eric, you were talking about, like, relationships. It could be a relational healing. It could be a spiritual healing, a physical, um, a mental healing. But... I, Jesus wants to bring healing to you. And here's what's so interesting about these miracles. Think about this. How does, how does Jesus want to do this? I don't have a clue. You know why? With the leper, right? Think about the leper. The leper walks up to Jesus and pleads with Jesus. Jesus, please heal me, right? And what does Jesus do? Class? He heals, <laughs> he heals him, right? And now think about this. So you have like this direct pleading with Jesus, which if I was a good pastor, I'd say, go directly plead with Jesus. Think about this. Think about the second healing of Matthew, right? 
you have a Roman centurion is indirectly pleading on behalf of his son, right? And what does Jesus do? <coughs> heals the son, right? So the first one, you have somebody walking up to Jesus, Jesus, please heal me. The second one, you have Jesus, please heal my son. And then what about Peter's mother-in-law? What does she do? <coughs> but what does she do? Wrong one. <laughs> it's a, huh? But what does she do to get the healing? She just lays in bed, right? Jesus just, so in the first one, you have a direct healing, right? Jesus walks up and says, you know, the leper says, please, please, please. The second one, you have an indirect healing. The centurion says, hey, my son over here. And in the third one, there is no request. She's just laying in bed and Jesus walks in. So here's what's interesting about this is I do believe that whatever you're going through, if you've hit a wall, you can't get over the hump, your box, your family, I really believe that Jesus wants to bring healing to that situation. How? I don't know. I don't know if you need to walk up and you need to plead with Jesus and get on your knees and beg Jesus. I don't know if there's people in your life that, you're, that are pleading on behalf of you to Jesus. I was like kind of laughing, but I'm kind of half serious. I don't know if you just need to lay in bed and wait for Jesus to heal you. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Jesus decides when he heals, um, he just, he, that's, he, he, in all of these, he heals. How he does that, we don't know. We don't know. But again, Jesus as the great wall breaker, as the great healer, as the one who gives access to all. Okay? So I loved that kind of, again, taking, taking the larger context of, of Peter's mother-in-law healing, placing it alongside the Roman centurion, placing it alongside the leper. Let's go back to Mark. Um, Jesus is healing Peter's mother-in-law. Um, there's two really standout items about the way that Jesus heals specifically Peter's mother-in-law. Um, man, I know that I've preached on this before, and I'll preach on it. This is one of the most fascinating things to me, always about the way that Jesus heals. Jesus touches the sick, and life and healing flows to the sick, right? Sickness does not flow to life. So a really, I'll say this in a really kind of practical example. When someone is sick, what do we do? Isolate them, right? We stay away from them. We don't want anything. Maybe kids we will get involved with. No. <laughs> Maybe kids we will get involved with. But if somebody is sick, isolate them, put them away, stay in your room, stay away from the rest of the family, do whatever, right? Um, and... Our primary fear, our primary disposition is that which way is sickness going to flow? To us, right? So imagine you walked into that kindergarten or preschool classroom and it's flu season and it's a nasty flu season. And you think to yourself, despite all the sneezing and the fevers and the coughing, and you know when like kids have the, the green boogers running down the nose and you're like, why? And you're just like freaked out, right? But imagine thinking, man... I'm so healthy, like I'm just like my body is firing on all cylinders, just, you know, mentally, just there's nothing wrong with me, like everything about me, and you are so full of vitality in life, and you think to yourself, I'm going to go and I'm going to touch these kids, and I'm going to get right involved with these kids, and nothing, not only is nothing going to happen to me, but the life within me, the vitality, the strength is going to flow into these children and heal them, right? 
And we would probably like, okay, maybe you need to go kind of consider the way that your mind thinks about sickness and go learn some stuff. But I've always been so fascinated and so challenged by the way that Jesus heals that he touches the sick. And life and healing flows to the sick. Jesus walks into a kindergarten classroom and lays his hand on all these six naughty kids. And his life and his vitality and his his healing flows to these people. Again, Peter's mother-in-law with the fever, we're thinking like, okay, a fever. You know, it's interesting. The Jews would associate fever um, again with just kind of, think about the hot and the fires and hell and all that sort of stuff. They would associate that kind of real burning sensation with some sort of sin or something along those lines. And Jesus goes and says, I'll touch her. And And the second part of this what he does with this is he, he takes a woman's hand, right? Now, we kind of think about this, oh, Jesus is just being sweet. He's nice. You know, of course, he would take a woman's hand. Um, no rabbi would ever take a woman's hand. Some of the studying that I did, like, there is, the commentators would, would note, there is no recorded instance in, like, the history of Judaism, right, There is no recorded instance of a Jewish male taking the hand of a female ever doing anything like this, right? And one of the things that this is going to do in in Mark's gospel is it's going to set the stage for the way that women really play a prominent role in this gospel, really the elevation of women in this gospel, right? No rabbi would ever do this. And you could even think in modern day, if you were to think about a place like Iran, right? And you can see the way that women are struggling for rights and equality in Iran, right? And if you think about that in Iran, and imagine a, a, a male going and taking the hand of another woman. And even in today in Iran, that would be scandalous. Think about much less 2,000 years ago. So Jesus does these two incredibly fascinating things where he, he touches the sick, life flows to the sick, and he takes a woman's hand, and then he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Then that day after evening, they, they come, all the people come, he has the crowds there, um, and he has this, this massive day of ministry, right? Think about how drained Jesus must be at the end of the day. He has this massive day of, of ministry. And here's where I thought I would, I would have spent more time, um, but maybe another point. He, I want you to consider that after he does all this ministry, all this what we would call the important stuff, right? Healing, casting out demons, being with the crowds. He's really kind of getting some momentum. He gets some sleep. And then the best part about this whole passage that we have to pay attention to is what does he decide to do the next day? Anybody remember? What does he decide to do? He gets up early, leaves the house, he goes away to a solitary place, and he prays, right? He goes away to a solitary place, and he prays. And there is, if you read the Gospels and you look at Jesus' life, there is a distinct pattern of him doing ministry and then moving into prayer. Right? of him engaging in work 
and in silence, crowds, and solitude, Jesus always connects the two. Um, to me, to me, um, this, and again, I, I thought that I was going to spend the whole sermon on, on this, but this kind of came a little bit more towards the end. To me, though, this is, this is the main point of this passage, right? This is the main point of this passage, is ministry and prayer, work and silence, crowds and solitude. Um, and when we think about this as the pattern of the Son of God, this is how Jesus decides to do ministry, how much more do we need to consider this for our lives, right? For our lives, for what we do, Dan. Now, again, I know everybody sitting in this room thinks like, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that stuff. I'm not doing ministry. I'm not doing healings. I'm not casting out demons. You know, there's, a, there's multiple places in the Bible where I could say like, look, Peter calls this the priesthood of all believers. Every single person sitting in this room is quote unquote a priest. You are all priests. You are all doing ministry, whether it's in your home, whether it's at your workplace, whether it's um, with, with uh, your family and your neighborhood. We all in some levels do ministry, right? I know you're all doing ministry. And again, this rhythm of ministry and prayer right? Ministry and prayer, work and silence, crowds and solitude. To me, this is something, Jesus is doing this. The Son of God is deciding, hey, you know what? I've done some work here. I've done some ministry. I've done some, um, <clears throat> some healings. Let me kind of go over here and just have some, some time away, right? Some silence, some solitude. To me, like this is something, and again, I want to expound on this probably over the coming weeks, months as we get through this, but this is just one of the rhythm, rhythms of Jesus that we need to imitate, that we need to look at that and say, okay, Jesus, let's, let's get in on this. And I think that one of the things that, real practically for you, for everybody sitting in this room, why to do this? I, I just wrote down, it's going to give you clarity of mission in your life. And again, whatever that is, it doesn't have to be as a minister. It doesn't have to be as a pastor or some sort of full-time ministry. Whatever your mission is, Jesus gets away in verse 37, goes, spends time, solitude with the Father, and then Peter and the disciples come frantically looking for him. Jesus, everybody's looking for you. And then he says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come, right? A lot of people go through life not being able to answer this statement. That is why I have come, right? Not having that clarity of mission that Jesus gets from the Father. Right? Because we never spend the time to even ask the Father. To sit silently in front of the Father. To get away from the crowds and just say, even our own, sometimes, just get away and just say, okay, what is it? God, what's the mission? Why is it that I have come? What did you place me on this earth for? Right? And so, I love this part because Jesus gets the clarity of his mission from his time, his silence, his solitude with the Father. Um, I think that's about all I got for this morning. A couple questions, a little bit of discussion. Uh, I think, uh, Jesus is the great wall breaker. What, what wall in your life have you hit? That was just such a, a surprise for me. And as I was kind of preparing this sermon, this teaching, uh, what do you make of the three different requests? Um, again, the direct request, the indirect request, just lay on the bed and not do anything. And the three healings that Jesus performs. 
what is more incredible about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, the direction of the healing, right, that life flows into sickness or that he touched a woman's hand and all that would have kind of come with that. Um, do you have any sense of ministry, prayer, rhythm in your life? And what might that look like for you to imitate Jesus in this area? All right, let's take five minutes. If you got to get up and move around um, and, and chat with some folks, do that. And then we'll have some discussion. <laughs>